sinners and choosers and lovers and dreamers, hypocrites and cynical bastards, and anyone who is dead inside. Welcome to Choose Your Own Religion. My name is Joe. Thank you guys for tuning in this week as every week. Real pleasure to have you. My guest today is Jason Van Glass. Uh, he's a comedian out here in L.A. He's on. He produces and runs all kinds of stuff, as you'll hear. And uh, as you'll also hear in this conversation, you'll hear me being uh, kind of frustrated early on, and uh, which maybe it was because of my interviewing. Who knows? But we ended up uh, settling into a really good conversation about meditation and Buddhism and the comedy. And Jason opened up about his own childhood. Uh, so I really appreciate that. Um, again, follow Jason on Twitter. I'll have the links to the show notes. And uh, he's the only person with his name anyway. So if you just Google him, uh, you'll definitely find him. And also, uh, two quick fun things I got coming up. If you're in the Baltimore, D.C. area, I'm going to be at the Charm City Comedy Festival. That is in Baltimore. It's going to be at Zissimo's Bar. Uh, I'm going to be performing on Thursday, May 11th at 8.30. You should check that out. You should check out the rest of the festival. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'd love to see any of you sinners and choosers there. Also, if you're in Los Angeles, I'm going to do another live Choose Your Own Religion on June 3rd. That's Saturday, June 3rd. Uh, still working on the lineup, but uh, just like last time, it's not a podcast. Uh, it's it's a live kind of fucked up worship service thing. So I hope to see you guys there. And uh, if you like this show, boy, have I got the website for you. <laughs> it's uh, chooseyourownreligion.com. You can find, God, guys, you can find everything from... Uh, old episodes to the blog posts that I've been doing this year. Uh, every week this year, I've been going to a different spiritual or religious place or having some kind of different experience and uh, writing about it, probably in too many words, but uh, it's there. If you're interested, I've gone everywhere from fucking Gnostic churches to to dance classes to good old classic Methodism to everywhere, everywhere in between. So if uh, you're interested in that, you can find those on the website. It's called This Week in Spiritual Narcissism. It's on the blog. Um, and again, iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to leave a rating or review on anywhere you want, that would be great. Uh, I would love you for that. And if uh, you want a sticker, let me know. And on top of all that, if you just want to email me and say hello or talk to me or whatever or ask whatever the fuck you want to email me about, you can email me at joe at joequint.net. I love talking to you guys, and I uh, hope to hear from you soon. Anyway... That's all. Thank you guys for listening again. Please sit down, focus your breath and all of your attention on Jason Van Glass. Allow the soothing music and uplifting affirmations to center your heart and mind in an awareness of God's love. Wake up, my dear sinners. Wake up from your deep rest. Won't you say your prayers Know that you are blessed I love you Oh, but Jesus loves you the best And I hope that you choose Your own religion This is a very Buddhist start to the, uh, the podcast Indeed Very short very you're sitting i mean your hands are even in a sort of like meditative type uh what do you call it clasp what is this clasping grasping i don't know well now but i agree now, I, you're, <laughs> now you're really doing it uh thanks for coming doing on. a lot of visual things for the podcast mm-hmm. seems like you're trying to like tell me something with your eyes that's not i can't tell if it's positive or negative it doesn't really feel positive I wasn't trying to tell you anything. 
Cool. Um, well, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, so I know I know the rundown basically because you have a bit on uh, a really funny bit on uh, your your current Buddhist dabblings. Yes. But I want to go back earlier. So you grew up in the Bay Area, right? Right. Right. Parents, uh, super not into anything, right? Yeah, even super implies a strong... They just weren't into it. It wasn't even a thing. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they were fighting against it. They're not it. ex-Catholics. They're just not anything. Mm-hmm. What did they... Did their family... Did they have grow up with really anything or ex-anything? Mm-hmm. Even their grandparents are... My grandparents are pretty chill, I think. Yeah? What were your grandparents? That's what I'm saying. It's like, I don't... My, my grandparents didn't seem particularly religious, even if they, I guess, probably had some affiliation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know what, what it was. Yeah. Yeah. No idea. Um, so you were just... How did then... Were you raised... Like, when you were growing up then, what did they teach you in general, like about religion like they're like okay so you're gonna be at school with all these like religious kids who's like gonna tell you things about jesus northern california so those that wasn't true no religious kids um fair number of uh jews and uh christians tended to be like asian immigrants Mm -hmm. but the yeah the, the san francisco bay area is not a hotbed of evangelical christianity right right but even then i mean you're running into Every now and then you're running into people, but they, so that wasn't even a factor for them to be like. You don't even, yeah. you never came. You never came across a Christian. We're like, oh, cool. Like, well, who's this Jesus person? Yeah, it's uh, never it's a different world up there. Well, yeah, sure. Well, then, so what is what is elementary school like? Is just nobody religion is just not like a factor at all. No, why why would it be a factor? Well, because I don't know, because I I grew up in the South, where it's obviously a huge factor. Yeah. So this is just me trying to talk, and I didn't uh, even like, consider you know, until this podcast, moment. I thought I would. I didn't even consider ask you until stuff. this moment that it could have been a factor in elementary school. Like, why would religion be a factor of third grade? Well, I'll tell to you. Me, to why, me, that's like a. I had not even stopped to consider that possibility. Well, I'll tell you why it uh, it matters in the South because you're like literally everybody you know is some kind of Christian more or less i mean and if they're not they just don't talk about it like it's assumed it's just mm-hmm. it's like fish swimming in water where you say the pledge of Le- everybody's like into the pledge of allegiance the under god part everybody's like going to church or everybody belongs to some church or at the very least even if they're not going to church surely they like pray and they're like into that um now that might again i'm sure there was a silent group of people who were just totally not into that at all but mm-hmm. that was the that was the cultural norm. So cultural norm in, in the Bay Area, nothing like that. N- not at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know even where to begin and how different <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, growing up, it's well, the, you assume wherever you are is normal, and then later you find out wh- how your hometown or area differs from <laughs> the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the San Francisco Bay Area, of course, very liberal. Uh, right. Very, right. very progressive-oriented uh but even then, there's like, I mean, there's a religious, new age-ish type vibe up there in terms of like a psychedelic movement, in terms yeah. of, I mean, the whole, I mean, it's stereotypical, but the like whole Grateful Dead, hippie stuff, yeah. you know, there's a whole, all this Eastern influence. I mean, was Eastern, the Eastern influence in the United States was essentially born there and started mm-hmm. there. I mean, Alan Watts is yeah. kind of tramped around up there. 
Um, so that what I didn't encounter that as a small child, but I agree. Yeah, like for sure, the '60s are still a part of the yeah Bay Area. But were your parents a part of that at all? Not really. No. No. What did they do? Uh, they're both uh, employees of the California State Fund mm-hmm. System, which is the state's uh, public insurance, mm-hmm. basically public option uh, insurer of last resort. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father worked there his whole career. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mother worked there for most of her career. Mm-hmm. Uh, were they like, so they weren't, for some reason. And they were they were basically tech people. Gotcha. Maybe not the tech people you think of now, but mm-hmm. because they started in the late 60s or early 70s. Mm-hmm. But my father was eventually head of IT and my mother worked in tech gotcha. uh, at the company. Okay, that's kind of like my uh, my grandfather worked for NASA in, uh, in Huntsville, Alabama, but he was an accountant. So it's like, yeah. when you my, think of like a, a space person, he's not really like exactly what you think. My parents don't have uh, engineering degrees, but they both ended up in tech because uh, mm-hmm. somebody had to take it over. And my parents, my mother wasn't scared of, <laughs> my mother was an early adapter and a, a computer enthusiast uh-huh. and put her English degree to good use. Uh, mm-hmm working the eventually working in the tech department and managing you know in the 80s they have these huge servers and huge rooms floors of the building are devoted to mm-hmm. computers so what what about you when you were a kid what kind of like i mean if you had to put yourself like i was like uh i ended up being like a theater kid i was in i was kind of into like emo music and um, musical theater and that kind of shit what kind of if you had to put yourself in any kind of i mean did you fall into any box when you were a kid, in terms of like... It was in the comic books, uh-huh. that category of stuff. What got you in the comic books? I don't know. I think everyone was doing it in 92. Uh, uh-huh. Spawn was big. Um, and I was a, I was like artistic, so I would draw on stuff. So I think that was the, especially the connection that made me stick with comic books was that I was um, exhibiting some sort of like artistic intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my parents and, of course, teachers, everyone was very encouraging of like, oh drawing and painting mm-hmm. and you're i mean you're okay let me just i'll just say you're striking me right now as a, a fairly passionless guy great <laughs> uh i don't disagree so no no passions as a kid nothing now i mean i, I, I was a big collector of things i, I still sort of collect things mm-hmm. but uh yeah, I don't. I don't think I've become Buddhist because uh, I don't think Buddhism has made me uh, like a very uh, grounded, calm person. I was. I was always a very uh, mm-hmm. low key person. So that's. It's more. It, yeah, I wasn't suggesting Buddhism made you that yeah. way, but um, it was. It's more that you're like, oh, these are <laughs> like more my. This is more my speed of like. This is how I've always kind of felt and processed the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I'd known that for a long time, but only got into the practice of meditation recently how how recently a couple of years ago i mean i sort of edged into it mm-hmm. and what is uh what does your meditation practice look like uh well i i uh, go to katampa modern buddhism mm-hmm. uh which has maybe 800 locations worldwide but also one very conveniently located uh near my apartment in los Feliz. Mm-hmm. uh and uh katampa is just uh meditation without um it's founded by a tibetan monk but it ha- it's um shaved off all religious traditional customs it's just meditation the the guy that founded it believes meditation be helpful for anyone regardless of belief in god or belief in spirits Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's uh it's a place kind of like a yoga class where you can just go uh, at a specific time and someone will lead a guided meditation and you uh, pay five dollars 
And that's it. So you're not like, there's no, you're not involved in any other like community aspect of it then. No. And I'm not sure there's much of a, uh, there are volunteers there and stuff, but it doesn't seem like a big, mm-hmm. there aren't a big, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of, a lot of extracurricular activities there. It's, it is like I say, kind of like, um, a yoga class or, a uh, some sort of exercise boot camp or something like it's just a thing it's a way for you to schedule it into your day and and i like do i like going there and doing that um i have attention deficit disorder mm-hmm. so i think something that kept me out of meditation for something that, you know i could have started 10 years ago i was aware of it and i thought it'd be a good fit for me was just the inability to sit down and do anything for 30 minutes mm-hmm. so by going to a place uh, that doesn't have any distractions and has other people doing it has someone else keeping track of that you're doing it for 30 minutes or whatever Mm-hmm. makes it much uh easier for me gotcha so it's, it's a totally pragmatic sort of practical thing very yeah there's no <laughs> there's definitely no extra curricular in terms of uh, extra spiritual or extra physical no it has has no religious elements although the guy that founded it is um uh involved in many other side projects as you may know from my uh, <laughs> from uh my stage uh, performances uh such as wanting to kill a dalai lama sure he's got a point um no he's he's, a, he's an actual tibetan monk what is his point well uh dalai da- lama is like such a nice guy classically nice guy you, uh, you've, I, met, you've met him i i yeah. think i think the dalai lama is a nice guy uh I've hosted him. this guy's point is that um tibetan buddhism um distinct from maybe other cultural you know japanese or indian buddhism and whatnot tibetan buddhism over the years um incorporated a lot of i think maybe the existing uh, n- nature gods and spirit gods and ancestor gods that were in tibet uh, before buddhism r- uh, arrived uh, and so uh, tibetan buddhism is full of a pantheon of uh, spirits and candle lighting and mysticism uh, and in the 1890s or early 1900s perhaps uh, one of the minor gods of tibetan buddhism uh, the cosmic spirit of vengeance uh, rained vengeance down on uh, enemies of Tibetan Buddhism within Tibet, so various heretics or uh, branch uh, people that that spoke out against the mainstream uh, Buddhism. So, like, I'm I'm just gonna spit spitball a number here, but I think the Dalai Lama's branch of Buddhism only represents about 85 percent of Tibetan Buddhists. Mm-hmm. The other 15, uh, like most you know religions, Christianity or something, you, you, there's all of these uh, Protestants and Catholics and and Lutherans and Presbyterians and X, Y, Z. Um, the same is true of Buddhism. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, in Tibet, there were different monks or different religious movements that would try and break away or, or contradict the Tibetan, uh, the Dalai Lama's main branch of Tibetan Buddhism. And uh, about a hundred years ago, uh, misfortune befell a whole series of people. They died in floods, heretics or or people that were threatening the power of or or the truth of the the Dalai Lama's branch died in mudslides and were struck by lightning and and, and just, you know, uh, and so one of the one of the sort of maybe equally powerful uh, like pantheon of like sub gods, the cosmic spirit of vengeance was credited and uh, mainstream Tibetan Buddhists and the, the monks um, venerated the cosmic spirit of vengeance for punishing people that threatened their belief system or her- heretics. Uh, and uh, the cosmic spirit of vengeance became 
maybe the the most uh, revered god in the pantheon of gods uh and when the current uh, dalai lama became the dalai lama of course you know china is has invaded tibet they've taken over uh all of tibetan buddhism is imperiled um this dalai lama uh in exile made some changes he re he, re he renounced the worship of the cosmic spirit of vengeance in order to um unite all of tibetan buddhists outside of internal sectarian wars and united against the threat of china and also to make the religion seem um less threatening to british and american people that don't want to i think would prefer to have a simple like it's it's beneficial to the tibetan buddhists cause that this is a religion of peace and not a religion of venerating the cosmic spirit of vengeance Mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the things the Dalai Lama did in the uh, 70s was was um, denounce the, the practice of worshiping the, this cosmic spirit. Um, but of course, that was uh, highly divisive among people who are 12th generation monks. It's the same as if the Pope denounced the Holy Ghost. Right. A lot of people, a lot of professional Catholics would be very upset by that and would would not accept that. They would say that the Pope was the anti-Pope. Mm. And so the same thing has happened in uh, Tibetan Buddhism, where a small faction of, of followers and monks um, believe that this Dalai Lama has compromised a core belief of Tibetan Buddhism. Not a belief I hold, but uh, I, right. don't, I don't follow any of the religious elements of Tibetan Buddhism, but the, they, they believe that this, the current Dalai Lamas, they picked the wrong guy, basically. Gotcha. So you, but you, so you, like, as you said, you don't, you don't have a dog in that fight, really. No, not at all. So really, I mean, if anything, you probably agree with the Dalai Lama then, and that you would, if it was up to you personally. I don't have a side in the fight. Like I say, like, I don't think we should be assassinating anyone or like in any form of holy war, but I, I can see it from their perspective. If the Pope denounced the Holy Ghost, a lot of Catholics, a lot of, a lot of high ranking Catholics Right. Would think that we picked the wrong Pope. But isn't a lack of endorsement of the Holy Ghost basically a denouncement of the Holy Ghost? You're like, I, I don't really think the Holy Ghost is a real real right. thing. I yeah. mean, you see, we are seeing that with the current Pope. We see that with every Pope. Right. The Pope makes certain pronouncements and, and there's rumblings among the followers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, this current Pope, who happens to be like a quite liberal Pope, um, has, you know, makes waves every once in a while. And that's all that's all that's happened with Tibetan Buddhism is that a and another part of it is much like this current liberal pope that is coming from South America, the first, I think, maybe New World Pope. Mm -hmm. uh, the current Dalai Lama, the one the one we know and love, is um, was born of of maybe uh, modest means. Mm -hmm. He's not he's not from a long line of uh, lamas or or monks. Uh, and I know it's a surprise, but uh, reincarnation of the Dalai Lamas tends to tends to happen in really powerful, politically well-connected families. <laughs> Traditionally, that's just where they decide to come back. Like you would too, if you were going to be reincarnated, you'd sure, be like, yeah. I want to be the king's son. And that's typically where the Dalai Lamas were re reborn to. Uh, this current Dalai Lama doesn't, isn't come coming from a particularly powerful family or, or a line of monks. Mm -hmm. Whereas it was uh, many monks are, it's a, it's a profession you, pass on to your son so many 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 master meditators are 12th generation or they're you know they're carrying on a legacy mm -hmm. so it seems like almost uh do you feel like uh like I, I, the way you're describing these this and it's a lot more detailed than i certainly knew um would you it seems like you're almost because like you're it seems like you're pointing out the 
that there's a lot of the same sort of uh, nepotism and maybe not even nepotism in Christianity, but same some of the sort of this weird um, hit, maybe hidden hypocrisy or this weird like well, yeah, it's it's human. I, I think political what, what, a- aspect of it. Americans are always so excited to find out that there's a holy war happening where where one Tibetan monk is trying to kill another because our view of Buddhism is so simple. It's just like pacifists, right? They think they think every t- Tibetan, they think every Buddhist is a pacifist, and or at worst case, but like Christianity is a religion of peace too. We just know more about it, so we understand that like. Well, wars have been fought over christianity even <laughs> right. though like one of jesus's main things was like peace <laughs> right right or worst case we think of like like the uh, rage against the machine cover with the uh, the guy immolating yeah. himself you're like okay well that's still yeah, pacifism getting, but... getting run over by tanks and and not harming flies and all of that's true but like i say like yeah religion like the leader of tibetan buddhism of course is nine times out of ten born to a very powerful well-connected mm-hmm uh, you know, son or cousin or something, and and it's that network uh, uh, that plays it. It's yeah, they're humans. Of course, it's th- of course it happens that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with your own meditation practice, what have have you? And you've said it's been a couple of years now. I mean, have you besides just helping you focus? I mean, have is has it um had any kind of effect on any other quality like has it have you noticed other parts of you have maybe grown i mean because like they, t- they talk about like meditation being the practice and that there's this whole eightfold path and part of it you know mm-hmm. and the idea that you're developing compassion maybe along the way you're developing this like right action these right speech mm-hmm. this like this certain uh this mindfulness will then carry over into concrete actions do you feel like that is that has been the case with you I do it because I like the way it makes me feel and it's very hard. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard for anyone. Um, but when you get into that zone, it's a, a really nice, focused, relaxed, uplifting feeling. Mm-hmm. And and so I do it because I like the way it makes me feel. And I do feel like doing it and experiencing that feeling has made me a happier, more grateful person. And it's, I don't think I'm, good at meditating i don't think i'm like great at charity or whatever but i think i'm on i am on the right trajectory where i'm i'm on a day-to-day basis i am happier and that's Mm -hmm. why i do it what's um so like can you can you say specifically like what because i'll do i mean I, i meditate in the morning but uh and basic and i've gone through different little little types over the the years where Sometimes I'm focusing purely on my breathing and then, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm counting breaths and then I'm returning to it mm-hmm. once I lose my train of thought. Or sometimes I'm trying to do like a, like a body scanning thing. Sometimes I'm like hyper listening to my environment. And then again, once I notice my train of thought going off somewhere, then I'll, I'll return. What kind of style do you do? Uh, exactly that. I mean, there's different, different traditions are different you know some people have mantras and some people focus on the breath mm-hmm. um you're not a mantra guy not a i'm i don't do mo- uh, mantra but i don't i haven't really tried it i have nothing no, against it no tm or anything uh like that. no don't no. have the money um <laughs> so yeah I, I i try and just focus on my breath but mainly just like you stop your mind from running the goal it's a game and you're trying to stop yourself from having thoughts about what you're going to do later or what you have to go shopping for or like that 
road rage you had earlier or is is it a stopping or is it more of like a catching yourself doing it yeah so you're you're like one you can focus on anything so one reason you focus on your breath is is to focus on your breath to the exclusion of oh i have to send that email (laughs) right i wonder like get out was a good movie i should (laughs) i should it was a good movie and so and those and it's it's so it's just a game where you're trying to stop your mind from wandering and when your mind wanders you simply observe that it's wandered and return to the breath mm-hmm. or return to your mantra or return to you could pick anything uh-huh. but the, the the game is this your, your brain is going to really try and make you think about things from you haven't thought of in years think about things you have to do later yeah make plans your, your brain is is designed to to just bombard you with that stuff totally like uh i think somebody described it as uh your brain you uh i think maybe ramdas even talked about it as like your brain is like your mind is like a conveyor belt like lucy uh and i love lucy like the conveyor belt with yeah. the chocolate or whatever it's gonna it's come and come it's just gonna keep going you can't stop the conveyor belt from moving but you can sort of hop off the conveyor belt and not be and like you can, you can watch it you <laughs> watch can just the watch the stuff go by yeah like you're, you're not gonna ever completely shut it down and, and but when you experience that when you succeed a little bit in terms of kind of getting rid of those running thoughts, that running commentary, the thoughts that are random thoughts coming in from everywhere, when you kind of, when you are kind of able to like push those aside and just like, like kind of, kind of get them off in the distance and not be caught up in them or think like, think about them. It is a, it is a, just a interesting and unique feeling. Yeah. Um, and one that makes me just feel sort of, contented or, or happy yeah i mean for me it definitely i think i'm just um i think i'm just better at life in general when i do it because I, I think there's a much more of a distance of the separation from my immediate emotion or my immediate thought that uh, so i'm not as much of a slave to those per se of i'm just going to react purely based on you know i mean anger is the classic one that we don't want to react to yeah. but sometimes you know whatever it is and i, I do it's it is funny when i hear people Tell me if you've heard what other ones you hear. I these are the two most common ones I hear when people when I ask people why they don't. If I get in the, I don't ask everybody why they don't meditate. That would be really offensive. But uh, when people say like, "Oh, I don't want to meditate," it's usually one of like, "Oh, I I I get bored," or like, "There's no way I could do that." And they're like, "Oh, my mind is just too crazy," which to me is like an the, overweight the, person being like, "I the reason to do it." Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, do you hear any? Are those the main ones you hear? Do you hear any other like? things or like why people don't i don't i don't know i guess i haven't had those conversations with people too much uh-huh. did you ever have a period where you didn't uh want to go or like was there any resistance I or mean, was more because like, i have i have like you know severe attention deficit disorder i would say um and i only started taking medicine for it i should have been taking medicine as a child but i only started taking medicine for it as an adult which really changed my life really um because it the medicine works uh ritalin works uh-huh but tell, tell me about that too, because I, I I I know people over. I know I'm not saying it's. I'm I totally believe you that you have it. I'm just saying that in general, it's like the cliche is people say we've overprescribed uh-huh. ADD in this country. That's, that's an interesting cliche because that cliche is funded by Scientology. Really, uh, Scientology, of course, um, anti psychiatric medicine, oh. and they're one of the main funders and propagators of the idea that we shouldn't be giving anyone, especially children, psychiatric medicine, but if the medicine works, some of them work better than others. Like I think antidepressants don't work very well. Mm. 
and have side effects that you you do want to be extremely careful with with children but like the thing is ritalin works it's changed my life 100 percent for the better that's awesome um and i should have been on it years ago and i think what stopped it from happening wasn't that i wasn't diagnosed correctly i was i think what stopped it from happening was a general societal like suspicion of giving medicine to children yeah and that 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 suspicion is 100 percent funded by uh Scientology, who I um, really respect their taste in architecture. <laughs> so you were you were diagnosed with ADD as a kid, then you're saying they they knew something was up, and they they I think they knew it was ADHD. Huh. And then because I I had I was struggling and I had, I had learning disabilities. Gotcha. So it wasn't yeah. It's not just a like oh this this kid just loves running around. He can't you know he can't color inside the lines. It's like that yeah. sucks, man. Sorry to hear you went through that. It's fine. It worked out great. Um, and then, what's wh- how? When did you start taking it as a uh, Ritalin as an adult? I was like twenty six or twenty seven. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's uh, with ADD. Then it's like this is basically a doctor saying like even more than the average per like because even though like meditation can work for everybody whether they <laughs> they have ADD or not because mm-hmm. I think because it is a function of mind that will keep generating. It's, it's like going to the gym and is my analogy for it. Right. But like ADD yeah. is like a hyper version of what everybody has of that mind conveyor belt thing. It's just like you have yeah. t- twice as many conveyor belts you have, you have going twice as fast. Less control over your mind. Yeah. You can't do things you want to do. So that was, was that, what was the biggest uh, like change then for you? Just being able to focus and actually accomplish exactly, yeah. stuff? Um, yeah. Being able to get, get things done, things I wanted to do mm-hmm. for a long time. It gave me control over my life. Were you like... When you going like let's say did you did you have I mean you know is if you don't want to talk about it that's fine but uh, was there like a rock bottom moment for like your lack of focus or was it just a kind of a gradual eventual like yeah it's time to just try I, I think shit. it was the realization that that it it was just textbook ADHD and there was a cure yeah and you're like well, and that even well though I'd it. been um, in They'd, they'd tested me for things in elementary school and I couldn't spell, but I, you know, they, they'd, I thought maybe they'd run the tests and, and what I, I didn't realize it was just attention deficit disorder hmm. and realizing that and getting the prescription for it. Uh, yeah. It was life changing. Yeah. And they, how did give did, your kids drugs? <laughs> and how did, um, I mean, how does, uh, how, how is being on Ritalin affected? Cause I mean the, the way you're, th- I'm thinking of it now or I have been thinking of it has been like, like exactly like an academic format or in like a productivity format. I mean, had, did that have an effect on your like interpersonal relationships too? Um, maybe it couldn't have hurt. Yeah. I mean, pre Ritalin to watch a DVD that I wanted to watch, I would get the DVD two days later. I would watch like 30 minutes of the DVD. I'd make dinner. I'd watch like 30 minutes of the DVD and it wasn't like a, you know what I mean? It turned everything and like, I couldn't stop and do anything. I couldn't read more than a chapter of a book. And to read that chapter would take two days to pick up the book. Mm. You're just co- totally. So every part of my life was, was really, I just, I just didn't have control over, over my getting things done or actions. It was just the, not yeah. just homework, but like watching movies. <laughs> uh huh. So like any kind of distraction would just immediately just the impulse to just like get up and do something else for 20 minutes. Right. So I'm just picturing that could, I'm sure in relationships that would 
that could potentially hurt somebody to be like, hey, fucking pay attention to me. And you're like, no, but I, I can't. Or did yeah. that not factor in at all? I'm sure it did. <laughs> um, and so you see meditation as sort of like a, like a maintenance thing more than... A, if Ritalin is more of a direct like cure and changing your brain mm-hmm. chemistry, where does meditation fit in with that? I, I see it as going to the gym, mm-hmm. not not with any goal in mind, but like when when you go to the gym for an hour, you feel better. Yeah, like if you just run, if you run for an hour, you just feel better. You feel better the next day. You have more energy, and I see. For me, meditation is the same type of practical thing. Like, it's med- it's a gym for your mind, and you can have you could have a good gym day or a bad gym. Like, you can meditate, and it won't maybe even go that well you're not you right don't, you don't have a good session mm-hmm. you just keep getting distracted or whatever but the better you get at it, it it you carry that with you the rest of the week or the rest of the day where you're just a little bit more grounded a little bit more in charge of your thoughts and and your 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 thinking mm-hmm. clear your mental clarity you're not in the fog you're not in the days of getting things done or racing from one thing to the next yeah and sometimes with me i'm like it's more of the effect of when I don't meditate, then it just, that's when I feel like, Oh God, like yeah. then it gets fucking crazy. But I think, I think that even the analogy stays there. Cause it's like, if you are going to the gym for a while and then you stop, you feel tireder. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like you didn't, you didn't work out. And so now you're more tired. Right. But you like take it for, <laughs> after a certain a, point, you a feel paradox. Yeah. Yeah. At a certain point you can feel like a plateau though. Like it's a false, maybe it's a, it's a, a plateau is still higher than you know the ground that it's mm-hmm. uh, in reference to, but uh, on that plateau you can be like, well, why why am I even like you know out here? And so, do you ever have these like frustrating moments with your meditation practice, or is it sort of? I guess because I haven't done it. You know, I'm doing it for thirty minutes, like three times a week or something. Uh-huh. I haven't gone on some retreat where you do it for seven days straight. I haven't. Would you? I got other stuff to do. <laughs> it seems interesting, but like I can't. That's not what I would take a seven-day vacation to do. Sure, yeah. Uh, but because I haven't, I haven't, I haven't met that point of it yet. I'm not, I'm not doing it at a level that is like a place where I get frustrated with it. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm kind of. This is. I don't know why this just popped in my head. It's just funny the way you were like, ah, I, I got other stuff to do. It just struck me as like a funny. This uh, again, I, I, I accused you earlier of being a passionless person. I don't. Maybe perhaps that was unfair. Very true. Um, not, not true that it's unfair. Just like a good observation. But so what is there? I'm curious. Is there like a philosophical underpinning of this passionlessness, or is there? Is it just the way you kind of always have been? Yeah, I think I'm I'm always that way, and any philosophical beliefs are have come later to match. Uh huh. Are you into like nihilism? No, no. Emptiness. I think I think uh, I do believe that if um, you're bothered by something and you can't change it, then you should just let it go. Sure. Yeah. And that's hard, but that's like a real belief I have. But I think that belief is coming out of some sort of pre-existing setting in my personality of just being very chill, <laughs> super chill. So now, of course I get up like anyone, I get up upset about things or, or worried about stuff, but 
for me it's like a little bit of a life hack where it's like but if you can't change it yeah then worrying about it's not if worrying about it's not going to fix it then you shouldn't worry about it sure if worrying about it is the gives you the you know motivation you need to take action then of course or Mm -hmm. worrying about it as a way of of reconciling some sort of problem then of course but if it's just being mad like i i can't stop donald trump right and i I think everything he's doing is bad Mm -hmm. uh it's all of it's bad it's bad it's embarrassing for america it's a sad place the cold country's come to Mm -hmm. but being distraught about it isn't going to change anything he's doing sure and so uh, i just watch it like a cloud in the sky where it's just like well that's insane but and even if you could do something about it, I think it's sort of like a, like a Sun Tzu sort of thing where it's better to be not let the uh, not let your enemy, quote unquote, disrupt your mm-hmm. thinking. It's even if you have some, the ability, let's say you're, uh, you know, I don't know, Chuck Schumer or somebody. somebody yeah, I was like going to say, if I was a Justice Department lawyer, right. my reaction to the Trump presidency would be different. I'd be looking for ways to expose all of it or undermine him or anything. Right. But even but then, I'm not. And so... There's no reason to let it ruin my day. But even then, I'm saying, like, that guy is better served. He's better able to take actions if he's not letting it ruin his day. Right. But he's yeah. just, like, letting you, it pass through. you're coming through. at it with a, with a calm and <laughs> yeah. coming at it with a game plan. Yeah. So what, And I'm curious, too, about... So that's, like, one way passion, <laughs> passion affects our lives. But also, like, what, what then... Why do you do comedy if you, like, don't care? I mean, I, I care about things. I just think, like what would passion for comedy look like other than doing it every day? Well, then why do you do it? I'm very passionate for it. Well, then <laughs> that's what I'm asking, man. Why? You but like, how, how would passion for comedy express itself? I guess because if... It, the way it expresses itself is that I've I've moved to Los Angeles. I do comedy. I'm not... Every single... No, I know, but like... Yeah. That, that is the... That's how you can tell I'm passionate for it. Right. I don't know. Like, is there a different way that you would... I guess what I'm asking is... I should be, like, yelling in the streets? No, I'm... No, 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 no. I'm just curious, like, how else it would express itself. That's not what I was trying to ask. What I was trying to ask was, uh, what then made you want to do comedy? Like, what makes... What made and what makes you want to do comedy? If if you have... A a deep love for comedy, going back to early childhood. Mm -hmm. Deep love for stand-up and sitcoms, and um, basically obsessed with all of it. And a realization later in life that if that's the thing I care most about, it's worth doing separate from any sort of, uh, if I have a gift for it or not. Sure. And what does, um, but I guess what, what is, do you know what's underneath that love? Like, what is it that makes up like, whether it's, Mm -hmm. um, something about, I mean, for me, one thing that I really enjoyed at various parts of my life as a, as a teen and then more seriously when I was like 22 and I actually like started listening to lots of comedy it was the uh the way that people were able to be totally honest in this way is this really unique vehicle for empathy and uh truth telling and this hmm. this uh, this is one of the you know as they say it was one of the last bastions of free speech or whatever out there where people can save very uncomfortable quote-unquote uncomfortable truths but if you couch it in a joke it somehow is a, a societally accepted thing or at least a sub-community <laughs> accepted thing um, and there's something still exciting to me about that, that this is, uh, if I, if I, I can talk about like a bad breakup or I can talk about my embarrassment or I can talk about how pathetic I am, 
but if I'm putting it in this nice packaging, people can actually, not only can they be entertained by it, but they can maybe really connect to that too. I mean, what, so that's what it is for me. Y- your answer is great. And it's not my answer. <laughs> so that's what what you've asked is a very deep question. I don't know my answer, but I'm going to try and answer it right now, but sure, it's definitely yeah. not what you just said, which is a totally good reason to do comedy. As a, as a, I, I mean, I'm an only child. My parents both worked, uh, I watched a lot of Comedy Central. I watched it all day long. I, I would, and my parents are comedy savvy. They'd stay up and watch. We'd watch the top ten list on on Letterman. Uh, even now, my parents, you know, big Colbert and and Samantha B fans, and they watch SNL. So my parents were were aware, like, in, are into comedy. Uh, and I I was just watching all of it. I was watching so many Simpsons episodes, Seinfeld. I was mapping out the schedule of which sitcoms I wanted to see where I was like, I, I, I know for a fact I watched the first season of Seinfeld. No one else was watching it. I, I watched Simpsons with my parents when it was on the Tracy Ullman show. I watched the season premiere of episode one of friends. I was watching tons and tons and tons of comedy and tons of standup on comedy central, which was like most of what they aired in the early days. Um, and I, I, I've never thought about this question you've asked before in terms of like why did it resonate and maybe it's just because if you can make people laugh at at school you could be popular sure yeah or you could be there was definitely like a kid in our school that was tiny i was small too but this kid was even smaller but he was funny and so he's popular do you remember his name uh peter laird I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, Nobody look him up on Facebook. Just respect. I've, respect I, I don't think he even went to our high school. After, so, so somebody from elementary school that was like, was just the class clown and was funny. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's the seed or something where it was like, oh, comedy is this thing that can make people <laughs> like whatever. Like make you feel more accepted or something. Make you popular. Sure. Well, that's the same thing, right? I mean, being popular is like, yeah. I think it was being popular makes it sound more vain than it actually is, though. I guess it know what I'm saying. I think that was just the spark in fourth grade or something. Maybe it's just like <laughs> sure. I, realizing that comedy was this this pivot point. Yeah, it's not. It's not what kept me in it or why I do it now or anything. But maybe that's maybe that's, that's what, what got started you, yeah. it or something. I don't know. But like I say, my parents. Parents are showing me the Tracy Ullman show. Like my parents, were, <laughs> well, I was watching adult comedy with my parents yeah. from a very early age. Deep, deep cuts. So yeah, I, I remember. I, I think I just doubled down on what I was already doing. I remember. I think sixth grade was the first time I really felt like I was funny. Like I had certain years of my academic life where I was funny or not funny. Like I would think through elementary school, I was such a quiet kid. Like I was hardly talking at all. Very shy classically shy i don't know why it's not really classically shy it's just a it's the wrong word for whatever kind of shy it is uh didn't talk a lot then something happened in sixth grade where i was able to something i don't know i was able to be funny i was able to like connect to the pop like the popular kids liked me i wasn't mm-hmm. quite popular but the popular kids liked me yeah that was the best year ever for my yearbook uh, yeah end of year signings like hey funny guy or something see you next summer or whatever and you've been chasing that ever since really have i mean because the subsequent years were they were fucking rough man they were rough a lot of lot yeah of, I, a lot of bombing I think in, that's uh, common in for everyone class. that ends up doing comedies like right yeah very few of us were 
popular in high school or whatever. Yeah. Like I had friends and it was fine, but it was for sure an awkward kid. Every now and then you come across like the Burt Kreischers of the world who were like the super party dudes at like Florida State who were like, they just, they've, they've been killing it the whole time. And I, I totally, I totally love Burt Kreischer, but also hate him for that. Yeah. So I, like, obviously I was just a weird kid. Yeah. But it was much later that I realized like, oh, the fact that I, I just care about this stuff more than other people care about it. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not like, I, I, I think I'm funny, but I wasn't the funniest it wasn't the class clown or something sure yeah i was quiet too it's more it's more just that i care about it more than other people care about it yeah and so i'm gonna like i'm gonna i'm gonna do the work (laughs) yeah well you definitely do the work i mean that's something that i think especially i mean i I think we've both been in la around the same amount of time about six years ish or something like that and uh, i remember I mean, we were, we were just seeing each other open mics for a while, but mm-hmm. then somewhere a couple of years ago, you just started producing lots of shit, and you still do, and you're volu- you're you have some kind of official role at the clubhouse. Yeah. Um. So you're you're putting your money where your mouth is, and you're really walking the walk in terms of like the total groundwork you're putting into. Which I, um, I'm surprised more people don't produce a show. Right. It's not that much work. And also, it gets way less work as you figure out how to do it. Right, it gets a lot smoother. But then you you're doing a show all the time, and you can do whatever you want on it, and you're not waiting for somebody to return your email. <laughs> right, you're just doing your thing because you've set it up. I think it was for me. It was too because I waited too long to start producing. I think comics should start producing shit like real or like start with just an open mic or something. Yeah, my like, er, my early stuff was hit or miss or whatever. <laughs> like I got I was producing too soon. Right. People asked me to help out with something or whatever, and like I have no idea what I was doing. But, uh-huh. um, and I'm still not an expert, but I am producing a lot of stuff, and it's going pretty well. It's like not worried about it. Yeah, well, I'm starting to produce more stuff too, and I I love yeah. it for the exact reasons. It's, but like I think for me, what took me so long because I went through a long period of not producing anything. I think it was twofold. A, it was the fear of it failing, of course, mm-hmm. which is like, oh, I can't like produce something and then have it, and in your head, you failure at least for me when I was like two, three years in failure meant anything short of being like the most popular <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah. I was like, no, it has to be like the one everybody right. goes to. It has to be like the new palace or something. If this isn't showtime at the Apollo. Right. <laughs> just quit. Right. Or even the, the <laughs> yeah. fucking like the, the new chatterbox or whatever yeah. the fuck, you know, you want to say. Um, and then the other one was like, I wanted to be, I wanted to be asked. I mean, you still want to, I still want to be asked, of course. Oh, I but wish I was doing so much Everybody, <laughs> Everybody book, book either one of us anytime you want. I would want. love to do stand-up on your comedy show. I'll do, I'll, yeah, I'll do whatever show, I'll whatever dr- I'll drive show. to wherever it is. <laughs> but, like, I wanted, I, that's what I wanted. I wanted to be like, mm-hmm. I want to just be selected because I'm so good. But it's doesn't, I mean, I know there are people who, I guess they're, like the 1% of comedians, I guess, can do that. But even then, they usually are producing I, I shit, too. I don't think it's possible in L.A. There's not enough not shows. In LA, no yeah. matter what, no matter how many TV credits you have, you're never going to be booked on enough stand-up shows unless there aren't enough of them. You're never going to be booked on enough of them that you're, like, getting the stage time you want or need yep. to work on your craft. Totally. And then, and yeah, the only other option is if you are a club regular, by which point you've probably already been making it on the road. And But even then, you're not going to be doing enough shows in Los Angeles. Like, you <laughs> right. know what I mean? Totally. You're going to be supplementing you, it with your road work. You have your too. name on the Walter Comedy Store. You're still doing one 1 a.m. spot a week for seven people. Right. It's 15 minutes. One And getting booked one on one week. bar show in the Valley. or what? You know what I mean? Like, it's not. 
No, you're totally right. This was like a this was like an important realization. Like I had because you think when you start out here, you see people on shows, and you're like, oh, if I just got good enough or recognized or right. credits or eventually I'll be on the shows. Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, you'll never be on the show. Like, doesn't you like people with credits much better than our people with TV appearances are aren't doing more stand up than we're doing. It's not <laughs> right. possible to do the stand up you want to be doing. Yeah, in our scene. Yeah, I mean that's a unique beast of LA, and I'm sure New York is probably pretty similar. I think it's not similar. I think in New York there's lots of shows because there's millions of people that will watch comedy in New York. Oh yeah, so the, a lot and a lot less industry type people. My, yeah, people that are not jaded to entertainment, people yeah. that are at bars anyway and will watch. And so my brief uh, experience with New York, I was there for two weeks, so this uh-huh. is a very limited. But it just seemed like there were way more bar shows, and it was way easier to get up on them mm. because. People were at the shows. Real people would watch any. Maybe it's not a big hit, but there's oh, there's twenty people watching. Yeah, just like if you had twenty people watching in L.A., you would be the next Chatterbox. <laughs> right? You'd build that into a forty-person audience, and you'd sell a TV show. Yeah, I'm super. Uh, I'm looking for. I'm going to New York in like a couple months. I'm um, just yeah. for a week, but I'm really looking forward to finally doing some stand up there. Way healthier because even if I don't, maybe probably the same number of comedians don't live there. But even if the same number do live there, there's also 10 million plus people that aren't in entertainment yeah and are think it's cool that you're a comedian and aren't blasé about being <sighs> an actor or whatever is this the part did you, did you ever think about moving to new york no not really i think about it sometimes just for because I, I had a great time there it was really cool i hope to go back but I, it's yeah i mean i like i'm talking to like uh, pedro salinas who's moved there wanjiko mm-hmm. eke and uh, many of la's best promising young comedians yeah to new york i mean and they say that yeah new york is, is better but, for and i think it's for that reason it's that you can you can get the the stage time you're you're at, like seeking out to work on your thing like you yeah totally yeah i so i i think about it but i i do i i, I think too um just like from an idea of and i heard this um rob bell is this uh this sort of he's kind of new age-ish christian past ex-former pastor more now he actually sometimes he does seminars at the improv of all places talking about like for creative entrepreneurs but uh he talks about like the idea of like i think i think about this approach all the time with the comedy scene where most people think like your their approach to the world is like where do i fit in like what a pre-existing system can I just slot myself and be a cog in that machine? Like how can I be mm-hmm. a, a screw or a nut or a bolt or whatever in somebody else's uh, gear? But then there's a different view, which apparently is a, a certain Jewish uh, type of belief, which is we can create, you know, we're not, we're not fitting into God's world. We're helping create the world with God or whoever, like with the divine. So like in that idea, I think of producing a show or like, it's like, mm-hmm it's taking some empowerment and taking some yeah. stuff into your own hands of like, no, like it doesn't have to be that like, this is all that exists and these are my only options. Right. I, I do have the option to make Still, shit happen. Yeah. Do anything you want. Yeah. And it's uh it's a totally, and also I think in terms of like, did you, did you start having way more empathy for bookers? Like once you started? Oh, it's impossible <laughs> to book. There's too many people. Yeah. The, the gangbuster show has been happening. We do it every Friday. At 11, upstairs at the clubhouse. I don't need you to come. It's fine. It's a great show. Actually, I have a pretty decent video from there. From the time We you take real pride in selling Los Angeles comics videos from the show because it's like... It's a good video. It's so hard to get a video yeah. in LA, no matter how talented you are, because there's no audience in anything. And uh, Rob Schultz did a good job editing. And he's a professional yeah, editor. He's a, he's yeah, so legit, we, yeah. we take pride in that. It's one of the reasons we run the show, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but the show's been happening 
two years. So we've done 120 sh- There's people that have not been on the show. Yeah. We've done 120 of them. And there's people that are on my list that I want to have on the show. Not even people that ask me or anything. It's like, and eventually I would like to get these other 40 people on the show. <laughs> right. Because there's just too many. There's too many people. Comedians and not enough stage time. And I think, I mean, I, I had this total attitude of like, it was, uh, it was, I was so much more hurt when people like I knew wouldn't book me on stuff because yeah. I didn't have a concept of that of yeah. like, oh, right. There's only so much stage time to go around and there's X amount of people. And also like, I wasn't able to think of like, I, now I know what I look for when I book people. Like, what am I, yeah. you know, and mostly it's like, do I think they're funny and do I like, th- like, are we cool enough as people? Like, do I not think they're a terrible person? That's really my two criteria. Are they funny and not like an awful human being? Yeah. It, there's just too many qualified people yeah. applying for this job. Right. Right. Um, and so did you ever, I mean, did you have that problem with like, I guess they, I guess it's entitlement or something like you felt like a little entitled I to hope- like spots. You're younger. Oh, I mean, I certainly, and it's that's one of those things that you're trying to turn off that feeling because if feeling that way makes you work harder or send an email to someone you're nervous about sending an email to, like a bigger connection yeah. or whatever, then then that's a good impulse. The impulse to like, well, why can't I be on that show? Right. If it generates a pot, like a, but if it's just like if you just if you're just mad at Steve Hernandez, <laughs> it's not doing anything for your life. Like yeah. it's just ruining your day. Steve doesn't even know. Yep. And I, so I hope no one's like, I'm, I'm a little worried. Like I hope no one's mad at me cause I have ignored or something. Like I'm not trying to do that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, but, and, and you know, I do find myself, you get, you, it's in, it's natural to feel like stilted or, or, or not stilted, but you know, if you, if you, you want to be on something and you're, you're not, of course, you're going to feel hurt. But like recognizing that emotion and recognizing that it's maybe not helpful in any way to feel that way. And there's no reason to let it like ruin your day. You could just be yeah. in a good mood. Well, it's back to meditation, right? And I think right. meditation totally helps me catch those feelings yeah. a lot faster. And like, it, it's not even about like, you know, it used to be like I would feel j- really jealous or something. And I would choose to act or choose to not act on it. But now I think I'm able to just identify like, what's the really the root of the jealousy? Like what's the core, what's the underlying yeah. thought of that? And is it bullshit? Probably. Like, and it's, is, is the, whatever show you're upset about, it's not even worth it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the show, God, the shows in LA aren't very good. I mean, God bless the chatterbox. You could never do the chatterbox and it would be fine for your career. Like it would be total. like you wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, 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 <laughs> nothing you'll ever do is going to change your career overnight or whatever no single thing no booking no show no tv we know people that have been on conan that still work day jobs right and have to like email there's no there's no part of the chain before ahead of us that is like oh and now i've made it right right (laughs) and i i know we're talking a lot about la comedy but i really think these these same principles universal can apply to apply to anything um well i think we're we're getting close to to wrapping up i i do here's i'll give you a choice because uh, when people don't have a religion, I make, we make one up, but I don't know if you, I don't know how you feel about that. We could also, the other alternate is what's one aspect of, in your case, it would be Buddhism or uh-huh. your Kadampa that you Esoteric would. Esoteric Buddhism. Right. <laughs> that you would like to change, whether it's, uh, you know, wanting the Dalai mm-hmm. Lama dead for, for real, real or, or what? Um, hmm. I mean, that's, that's one of the interesting things about 
you know, non the Western Buddhism or non-religious Buddhism is that if you want to change something, you just change it. It's not, there's nobody's in charge. It's just a self practice. People are like, yeah, it's fine, like, what's, great. what's one yeah. thing about your diet that you want to change? And it's like, Oh, I wish, I wish I was allowed to eat granola. Like you could just start eating granola. It's fine. Like you don't need to, mm-hmm. there's, there's no rules. There's no wrong way to do it. You're not even, uh, so this isn't a vegetarian type, uh, branch. Are this, are any, are any Buddhist I mean, vegetarian? I'm, Oh, a lot of, of course. I mean, I mean a and lot I, are, but I'm, not by like. I've been vegetarian twenty years. It's one reason Buddhism is the right uh, religion yeah, for me. Like, but oh, of course, yeah. This has never come up at the thing I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, it has nothing to. You know, B- Buddhism's. But definitely, you, Buddhism definitely has practitioners that are following you know strict, thousand years of tradition and sure. ritual. But it's Buddhism's a religion to the extent that it is a religion, not just like a philosophical practice. Do you wish you had more of a community around? Your Buddhism? No. <laughs> You're like, I'm cool. I mean it's a it's an internal practice. Yeah. Do I need do I need to hang out with people talking about yoga we're gonna do later? No. Like it's it, you just do it. I don't it, know, man. You, I think a lot of value can be actually I mean not that specific example, but you can do yoga because it's what of what you of what it does for you. You don't need it to be Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I think of it as like <clears throat> And obviously, you're right. That is a totally individual practice in your own, um, you know, nobody's going to help. Nobody's going to directly help you, I don't think. But like in that, I think in, in the way that like part of what makes you, what makes being in New York or LA as a comedian makes you a better comic is you're going to be around people who are also writing, who are also kind of like into the same shit you're into. And you kind of feed off of that sort of secondhand community a little yeah. even even as disparate as the community can be in LA and like the lack I'm, of community you can I'm feel. a very competitive person uh-huh but I don't I don't feel like I need competitive Meditation. Buddhism <laughs> like I'm gonna meditate so much better you you won't even realize because it'll be totally internal experience but it's gonna be better than yours fair enough <laughs> well you might be interested that this is I think you might be it's funny. It's like it's almost a cliche of this podcast that people say like community is like the one thing they miss from like Christianity or yeah. whatever, or whatever. So you're like, nah, I'm good without it. Yeah, I think it's fine. Cool, man. Um, so how about you want to what 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 would you like to plug? What shit are you running? Boy. Gangbusters, we covered set list Friday. at the pack every Thursday at uh-huh. ten thirty. Gangbusters every Friday at the clubhouse at eleven p.m. Set list also a great show by the way. Jason Van Glass and Emo Phillips. Oh yeah, how the fuck did you start improvising with Emo Phillips? Nobody knows, uh, but it's uh, I do I do a two person improv show uh, second and fourth Sundays. Uh, it'll be with Emo Phillips for the eighth time on, let's say, the twenty sixth of March, and uh, and follow you on Twitter. Oh or... please, at Jason Van Glass on all social media. No one else has my name. Mm-hmm. No, definitely not. I'll have the link to that in the show notes. Uh, well. Jason, thank you so much for coming. Hey, thanks for having me. I was—I will tell you—I was a little nervous at the beginning. I was like, I don't know how this is gonna go. You didn't seem that interested, but I think this was uh, this ended up great. People feel that way about me all the time. <laughs> I'm actually very passionate. I can tell now. It's the the passionless thing is was a total total bullshit. Very competitive person. <laughs> anyway, thanks, man. Thank you. That's the show. Once again, thank you so much to Jason for coming out and uh, getting through that conversation with me. I think it ended up productive and great. And I hope you guys liked it too. If you want more of this show, chooseyourownreligion.com. Love you all. Jamaste. What's a creative podcast network?